Welcome to the Sell or Die podcast. I'm your host, Jeffrey Gitterer. Well, in this podcast, we're going to help you attract more qualified, unbelievable, ready-to-buy clients. And the one thing you're hoping for blows more deals. It's time to sell or die. Die hard. Pay attention. I'm here today with Anthony Ianarino. He is one of the smartest people I know, let alone a great sales guy and a great writer. Wow. When Jeffrey Gittimer says you're a great writer. Yeah, I know. Uh, I don't know. I, I just bow in your direction, sir. Thank you. <laughs> well, you're welcome. He has a new book out called The Negativity Fast that almost made it on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. <laughs> But they eliminated the list. I wonder because if it was you or me that it was probably that. me. It was probably <laughs> me. I'm I am known at the Wall Street Journal as kind of a dick, but I accept that they just don't have a good sense of humor. But the challenge is, this is actually a good book. The reason I'm interviewing Anthony today, I have a few things that I want to talk to him about in the book. But more important, I want you to get the book so that you can have an understanding of where negativity comes from and how you might be able to expunge most of it. Mm -hmm. You'll never get rid of all of it because there's always going to be an asshole. Uh, but if your glass is half full of positive things, you're in way better shape than if your glass is half full of negative things. I'm just throwing it out there for your listening pleasure. So ladies and gentlemen, the great Anthony Iannarino. Thank you for having me on. The it's bald, always good to the see bald you. Anthony Iannarino. The white bearded Anthony Iannarino. You got a little bit of white there. I do. It's all white. <laughs> I just shave it off. You know, you know, I haven't shaved since 1976. Really? Fully shaved? No, mm. not even close. I was at uh, Outbound the year that you were there and uh, I started to grow this. And my wife said, uh, I really like that. And I was like, really? And and then I realized like she's trying to cover up as much of my face as she could. So <laughs> that, that, that's what I think it was really about. She's like, we should try to cover up most of this. So as you, I don't mean to be self-recognizing here, but in 2008, I wrote the little gold book of Yes Attitude because I was tired of reading bullshit about positive attitude that was not accurately conveyed or portrayed. And you can't just think you're going to be a positive person. You can't just wake <laughs> up and be in a good mood. There are things that you go through in your life that will lead you to that point where all of a sudden you got it. What? How did you shift from waking up in Ohio when it was three feet of snow out or, or wherever you were living at the time and transform yourself from a basically negative person to a basically positive. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm like, uh, if you want a, the, a case study, I am one. So yeah. I, my dad left when I was six years old. So I had that trauma. I was bullied. I, I started getting bullied at three. I, I waved okay. at the kid that lived behind me in Dearborn, Michigan, and he threw a rock and, and scarred my head. Like, I'm three. And so then uh, appendectomy, being beat up by four guys. After I got beat up by four guys, my dad, who had left, he came back and he got me and we went and got my brother. And then uh, we went back to the house where the two guys that were still outside were outside. And he said, you're going to go out and you're going to fight those guys. And I, I've said, I'm more afraid of uh, my dad than I am of these guys. So yeah. I got out of the car. That's like hillbilly justice. By the time I was 25, I was living in Los Angeles. I had a grandma seizure walking up the steps to my Brentwood apartment. And uh, the interesting thing about having a seizure is you're the only one that doesn't know you had a seizure. Everybody else saw it happen. Uh, I had two brain surgeries, one where they took this group of arteries and veins that grew into a knot and they they filled it full of an epoxy so that there wouldn't be a lot of blood. 
And then I had uh, another uh, surgery the next day where they opened it up, they removed it. And when I woke up, they said, um, by the way, uh, your brain was bruised. So we had to cut off the back part of your temporal lobe. I mean, they never told me that was even a possibility. Like there was no conversation about it. And I'm like, what? We did what? And they said, if you wouldn't have done that, like you would have seizures for the rest of your life. So we removed it. Then I went to college at 26, even though I tried to drop out of high school every day. I was so bored at school. I couldn't handle it. I, I I waited to drop out till I got to college, but keep going. Yeah, uh, I was a political science major. So all I did was argued with people about politics all the time. And because I was a libertarian, I could fight both sides. So there's always somebody to have an argument with, right? Mm-hmm. Then I got a Dean's academic, academic Scholarship to law school, another political environment. And so I was the libertarian. So I was always in constitutional law, people saying like, why would you disagree with the Supreme Court? And uh, because there's a lot of things to disagree with some of their yeah. their uh, judgments. They even but disagree I, with each other. Yeah. My uh, my mentor there is a guy named Mike Distelhorse. And one day I came in and I was complaining. You might remember this. I don't know. You could not remember this, but I remember it very well. Clinton signed a bill for a retroactive tax rate increase. So we all paid our taxes. And then in the next year, he decided, no, you owe us more money. And he signed that. And I was I was just miserable about that. And uh, Distelhorst said, listen, you can't do anything about this. You can't do anything about government. There's nothing for you to do. You're always worried about these things. What you should do is take care of your children the way that you want to. And if you're worried about running, I mean, if you're worried about money, just outrun the bastards, <laughs> just yeah. make more money. And then he said, look, you're really angry and you should stop that. You should just let all this go. Like you're really unhappy about it. And and I wish I would have taken his advice <laughs> because <laughs> I was like, no, I was not ready for that at all. Yeah. And, and uh, then, then uh, about six months later, I was like, I'm really angry. I'm I'm an angry person and I didn't want to be angry and I didn't want to be negative. So I got rid of all of TV media altogether. I got rid of every magazine that was political. I got rid of all of my books. And I decided that I was going to do that for 30 days. And then at the end of 30 days, I felt so much better. I was like, why would I stop doing this? It feels better. I'm not watching anything negative. And I seemed to feel a little bit better. But I made a mistake. And I, I had to do another 30 days. And I would ask you to do 30 days if you are really trying to feel better. One of the things that people ask when I, I say something like that is like, how do you know what's going on in the world? All the negative people tell me. Oh, yeah. yeah. They make sure I know. Yeah. When I was traveling almost every day, I would drag my bag over the top of the USA Today and just look down. <laughs> and that gave me a kind of an oversight of you know what's what's going on. All right, Nothing so good. Yeah. Let's go into this. Oh, you got pages you marked. I'm, this is serious. I'm not going to ask you to quote verbatim, but you're going to understand what I'm talking about. People complain about Monday. <laughs> yeah. Some woman wrote a book on thank God it's Monday. She was trying to, you know, go go the opposite way. But for the most part, people go out and party on the weekends or do things on the weekends that they really wish they could do all the time. <laughs> and then go back to what is what we might refer to as the daily grind. <laughs> yeah. If you're in the daily grind, you're in the wrong job. Yeah. I mean, you're 
you might be in the wrong family, <laughs> in the wrong group of friends, because if but all they- again is drink and smoke dope or worse, you have a problem. You're not happy on the inside and you're trying exactly to right. ingest all that shit in you to make you feel a little bit better. When in fact, if you don't quit that, you're going to feel way worse being dead. Or maybe you won't feel anything at all. I don't know. But look at the people that love you that are going to be left behind. When you when you look when you look at the lifespan of an American, uh, it's coming down. It went up for a while because people stopped smoking, but now we got fentanyl and suicide. So the number's going down. It's seventy eight point two years. That's four thousand one hundred and eight weeks that you have. I looked last night. I'm at thirteen seventy nine remaining. If I get to ninety. And I think I will because I'm not on fentanyl and I have no, uh, um, I'm never going to kill myself. I like this so much here. When you start to realize how short a life is, then you start to realize, uh, let me ask you a question. Uh, You like dogs? Love dogs. I love dogs too. They're great, aren't they? Yep. Yep. You ever have ice cream? I love ice cream. Of course you love ice cream. How about pizza? Love pizza. Bagels. I know you eat bagels because at five o'clock in the morning, you woke me up and we had to go get bagels. Exactly. Uh, It's great here, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, there's really nothing to complain about because (laughs) for the most part, if it rains, the rain will stop eventually. (laughs) Yeah. And the sun will come out. Um, you know, then if, a- if somebody's really stubborn about this Monday thing, then I go into like, you might have 1379, but how many Mondays do your mother and father or your grandparents have? Like, you need to start thinking about Monday a whole different way. Yep. If, if it was your last day on earth and it was like, you can only stay here, but every day will be a Monday. You'd be like, sign me up. Mondays are right. great. Exactly. Love <laughs> I'm fucking- signing up for that. Right. So, but, but we complain about it, even though there's nothing to complain about. Yeah. I um, wake up many days and I don't know what day it is because I don't care what day it is, especially when I'm traveling. If I'm in, if I'm in, you know, I was in Paris for July. I had no idea what day it was and didn't give a shit. Well, actually, I knew Saturday because all the Jewish stores were closed. That's the only way I knew what day it was. Oh, yeah, it must be Saturday because I don't care. Okay. So, there's some other things in here that I want to talk about. Turning on music to reframe your negative shit. Yes. Uh, I'd like to take this deeper. I go back to the music that I grew up with because that will immediately create a memory. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, I, I hate to admit this to the group, but Diehard, if you're listening, I want you to go back to your youth and play five of your favorite songs and see if one of those five causes you to become emotionally engaged to the point of tears. Can you even, like when you get into that state, because I get into that state quite a bit. Yeah. When you get into that state, what, what do you do? Uh, for me to get into that state? Yeah. It's it's exactly what you said. So when I was 13, ACDC, Back in Black album. Yeah. And uh, I got that album and I learned how to play a, a number of the songs when I was a kid. Like I was probably 12 or 13 at that time. Yeah. I can go right back there. I can yeah. just go right back. I can remember everything that I was doing. I get all of it. It comes rushing in. It's wonderful. So if I'm in a really down mood, I probably go to the next album, which was for those about to rock, We Salute You, which is just an unbelievable anthem song. And if you can't get up on that one, then I don't know what to tell you. Like that's just um, something that's so powerful. I'm a big believer in the science and combined with the luck of creativity. And when ACDC performed It's a Long Way to the Top if you want to rock and roll, I couldn't tell you on that live version where they're driving through town, is it a 
a Scotland town or is it an Australian town? And the answer is, I have no idea. But they introduced bagpipes into rock and roll with that video. Yeah. That changed everything. And because I'm a rocker, I look at that and I go, look what these fuckers did. They're unbelievable. They they killed it. And they were broke. Like they had to rent a truck to go around town to, to sing their song. Yeah. I was a dead ringer for Bon Scott when I was a kid. Everybody oh, yeah. who would want to do rock and roll, they would say, like, come and join us on stage and let's do a whole set. I yeah. knew every song. I knew all of Highway to Hell. But you probably don't know what Highway to Hell was really about. But uh, I will tell you. I will educate you on it. It is okay. not. It has I, nothing to do with hell. People going to New Jersey on I-95. <laughs> it's very close. <laughs> when they were in Australia and they would have to go from east to west, the sun is low and uh -huh. it's just burning you in the car. So that is actually what that's about. That's they called cool. that highway the highway to hell because that's it was just so hot. And they were going to be in a car with all these guys with their, their gear. I know what this is like. It's not very good. No, but I'll tell you, they made a mark. And when you see a, a video of, their, of them at a concert, everyone is swaying and everyone is singing every note to every song by heart. Yeah, it's that and kind Angus, of band. And Angus knows exactly when to lose his hat. They're so good. They're so tight. And they're having so much fun. That's they're the getting whole up there, though. Yeah. Well, everyone's getting up there. Hopefully. I mean, yeah, some people don't get to. <laughs> some of their members. Juan Scott is an example. Yeah. Um, but some people die and then some people kill themselves. Right. He was the latter. Yes. Um, so I want to talk about uh, how other people can can put music into their lives that will help them adjust their thought process. And this is this is fucking nuts, Anthony. There's there's a rock and roll group, an old early doo-wop group called the, the Chantels. Oh, yeah, sure. And they sing Maybe. And there's one video where they do it live in Pittsburgh when Arlene Smith comes back and she does the revival of the song to this group of oldie people. I cry every time, every time, because it's it's just so good. And then if you really want to go, go back to any Letterman show on on the day before Christmas when when Darlene Smith comes. Uh, Darlene. Uh, anyway. Yeah, I think it's Darlene Smith comes out and sings the Christmas song. Oh, Darlene Love. Sorry. When Darlene Love comes out and sings that song, it's unbelievable. And every year they up the production. It's snowing, the saxophones playing an extra long, you know, but it's unbelievable. And but I grew up with that song. Yeah. But that's a well, song from the sixties. I, I I do have to um criticize a little bit. So far, I've not seen any evidence that you've grown up. <laughs> I'm just saying, like he says, like I grew up in Philadelphia, and I'm like, you've not grown up anywhere. I don't. Well, <laughs> the key to my process is the Woody Allen quote of "You're only young once, but you can always be immature." And so I've sort of lived <laughs> by that for an extended period of time. That's why I love you for that. For that exactly. I think that that people don't understand the value of their own study in order to be able to get into a better frame of mind. Yeah. Not a better mood, not a better mindset, a better frame of mind. Because I think that defines it a heck of a lot easier for me. Me too. Um, there's, there's one other thing that I want to talk to you about in the book. And that is, well, maybe two. Uh, when you go to the dog kennel and feed all the dogs, I think that is just phenomenal. Um, it's, uh, I don't know if you, I, I'll just give you the story on this so people can hear it. Uh, I'm I'm like a Bales bondsman for dogs. So uh, I, I'm like, they're locked up. They're by themselves in these cages. 
And I love dogs so much like you do too. Like we love dogs. So I, at the end of the year, I normally go in and buy all of the dogs that they have. So it's normally like nine or 10 dogs and maybe they're a couple hundred dollars to, to uh, take care of them. So I come in and I do that and I've, I've done it for a number of years, but the last time I did it, uh, they just said, can we keep the money? And I said, yeah, I don't care what you do with the money. And they said, well, we've got some dogs that are going to need real training and it's really expensive for us. And I said, do them whatever you want with the money. Just go ahead and take it. And then uh, they brought one of those dogs out to me. <laughs> it's a giant white pit bull, uh, very aggressive dog, like just wants attention. And yeah. it's like sitting on my lap because it's a dog, right? It wants to get close to somebody. And they took a picture with me and they put it up on their website on Facebook. So wow. they've now they've got a picture of me with this. And it says, this angel came in and gave us this money and this thing and that thing and it had all these things. And uh, I was like, wow. I mean, that was really nice for them to do that. Yeah. One day later, some woman must be a rich woman. She saw that on Facebook and she came in and she literally paid for all of the cats in a humane society. Oh, so wow. that had to be like 46,000 cats. Like I have no idea how many, there's yeah. so many. And then two of my friends saw it on Facebook and they said, you can just go in and buy the dogs and you don't have to take them. And I said, of course, you. they're going to take your money. Just go in. And then two of my friends went in and bought two more dogs and gave them money. And so it just kind of kept going for a little while. And why not? Like, yeah, if you want to feel good, go do something for someone else or for dogs or for cats or for homeless people or go get to a pantry and bring them food. Any of those things. I promise you, you will not be thinking about yourself at all when you do that. Like you, you have no concern for yourself. It's all just giving to somebody else. So that brings me to the last part of random acts of kindness. But let's go back to dogs for just a second. My daughter, Erica, is a rescue person. So she's, and she rescues little wiener dogs. And so she's got a half a dozen of them at her house at all times. <laughs> some are for foster, some she keeps, some she's got, you know, but half a dozen dogs in a household is a lot. That's but a lot. But they have short legs and they can't go very fast. And, you know, that lot. And they're typically senior citizens, the ones that she rescues, because somebody, no one wants them anymore. And she feels bad for them and she cries when they pass and, you know, that kind of thing. But it's fulfilling for her. Yeah. I mean, she's involved in, if you go to her her Facebook page, Erica Abrams, Erica Gittimer Abrams, probably, um, she'll get 50,000 comments when she does something. Wow. I mean, she's like known in that world. And it makes her feel great. You know, she's fulfilled for what she does for animals. Yeah. So let's talk about random acts of kindness that make you feel good more than the person that randomed. When I go to the airport, no matter what, I give the sky cap 20 bucks, no matter what. One bag, no bag, I don't care. Boarding pass, 20 bucks. And they know it because I've been doing it for 25 years. So it's a fight to get to me because they know I'm 20. It's the same fight on Thanksgiving when there's 250 people waiting to check their bag. I'm next. <laughs> So think about what random act of kindness does in the mind of the other person, but more importantly, think about what it does for you. Yeah. How good you feel and how free you are when you just help the other guy out, even if it's just holding a door. Yeah. It doesn't have to always involve money, but it's kindness. But the other story that I have in that same chapter is when I went to dinner with my wife and a daughter and she was a young kid and there was a homeless guy that was standing outside of a Starbucks. You could hardly see him because it was so dark out and he was dirty. And um, I asked my daughter, like I said, give me my wallet. And she gave me the wallet. I only had like 80 bucks with me. Um, I just got back from uh, a gig 
and I, that's all the cash I had left. So um, I, I handed it to my wife and I said, give him this money. And he did this. He went like this and turned around because he didn't want us. To, yeah. He didn't want us to see us counting, you know, what he got. Yeah. Like, like it mattered, but he turned around and then he turned around and he yelled, I can go home. I can go home. And he took off running. And my little daughter said, how do you know that he's not going to buy drugs or alcohol? And I said, I don't have any way of knowing that. Right. And she said, then why did you give it to him? And I said, because I can. I, I can give it to him. I'm not missing it. Uh, whatever he does with it, that, that's his decision after that. Maybe he is going home. I have no idea. And she was struck by this idea that I'm supposed to control this guy and give him money to try to control him. That's not how it works. The guy's, uh, he's drenched. He's dirty. He doesn't have anything. I have something. I hand him the money because that's what you do. I started doing that in LA when I was a kid out there playing rock and roll. When you see people and they're in that that sort of thing where they're like they're so dirty because they've been on the street for so long. I mean, why wouldn't you give them money? Right. For me, easy. Die hard, pay attention. There's chapter 12.5 in the little red book of selling is resign your position as general manager of the universe. You can do it randomly on occasion, but you can't do it every day for the rest of your life to give away all of your money. You just, <laughs> right. You meet people and you take your shot with them for whatever the deal is. Right. And you leave. And maybe it's maybe it's no money, maybe it's $5, maybe it's $20, maybe it's $100, but whatever it is, you do it so you feel good, not just the other person feeling it's, good. It's called helper's high. That and I never knew that there was such a thing. I wondered if I had to get a, a card to be able to have a helper's eye or not. <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah. The first time I went to South Africa to speak, uh, I was staying at a place. When I walked in, they said, "There's the panic button. Should you need it?" And I was yeah. like, "Okay." Uh, I, okay, I, now I know where that is, and I know that I might need it. Everything's and they said, "Don't go for a jog. Don't don't, don't leave at all unless somebody takes you somewhere." So I had these people taking care of me. And when I got there, I was sick. Uh, and I said, can you go get me a couple bottles of water? And then could I ask you to um, iron these shirts for me? And this woman went and she got the water and then she took care of my shirts for me. And I had uh, $2,000 on me. So I have $2,000 with me. I have nothing to buy while I'm there. You know this because you travel like, what are you buying? Maybe books. That's it, right? right. After or that, nothing. Maybe a shirt or a hat to remind myself that I was there. So as she gives me the water and the um, the shirts, I gave her $40 uh, US Yeah, and she started crying and I'm not understanding like what happened and now she's crying, but that was so much money to her. Yeah. I thought when I leave here and I I'm going to the airport, I might kill her <laughs> with <laughs> what I'm going to leave her. I'm like, I don't know how much, but while I, the whole time I was in South Africa, that first time I was at Joburg in Cape Town, I made every person do things for me. So a guy would come and say, do you need anything? And I'm, I didn't need anything, but I'm like, can you go get me like four bottles of water and two oranges? They take off running, come back. I get to give them some more money. 
And uh, I left I left the whole 2000 with all those people. I had nothing to buy there. I was just working. And I thought, how amazing is that you can do this and, and make people just feel so happy because they got something like that when it'd be hard for them to do it where they live. That's crazy and good. That's crazy and good. Um, yeah, I've, there's so many times that I've done little things for people and you don't realize how much of an impact it makes on them. But they will come and thank you and tell you if it was significant, especially. Well, when I, I thought you were like fishing for me to say thank you for helping me with the book and all the other things no, that you've I was done not for fishing. me. No, no, I don't fish. But I can tell you in Cuba, where the average person makes $30 a month and you give them $10, it's like two weeks pay. Crazy. It's nuts. Capitalism's pretty good, isn't it? Capitalism works for me. Um, me too. But it has worked uh, well for me and my family and my family's family. So um, we're we're fourth generation capitalists, uh, having come over on the boat in the 1900s when we were being excommunicated from Russia, actually the Ukraine. But the challenge for you, diehard, if you're listening to this and you're wondering, okay, what can I do? And the answer is the the answer is obvious. You do what's right in front of your face. You don't have to go searching for it. It's there. It's the guy waiting on the corner with a little sign that says, I need help. You know, I'm homeless and I need help. Just give him two bucks. Are you going to miss the two bucks? And then no let's, way. let's see who feels better, you or them. And maybe you'll have like a $2 bill collection that you have in your glove box or in your coffee cup holder. And every time you see one of those guys, just roll down the window and give them, two, give them a $2 bill. The yeah, more people should carry. I mean, they don't have like a swipe for you. <laughs> Like no, you have no, to no. have cash on you. Carry cash with you now, now they, that you know. They don't have credit cards processing machines. No, they don't. I've checked this. I, I've, I'm no, doing but I'll tell you this. Look at the number of businesses that say no cash now. They won't take American money. Crazy. I'm allowed to have uh, I'm allowed to have um, sugar one time a week. It's Friday night. We go to gate graders and oh, then yeah, place. So then there's as we go out, there's always this homeless guy standing at the red light where we, we have to go. So I always make sure we have a 20 for him. Now, I have yeah. no idea. A guy could be a millionaire and he's yeah. just standing there with the sign. But he's he looks legitimate enough for me that I'm going to give him money because why not? Yeah, because why not is a real solid way of thinking about it. Because you feel good, you've done it. And whatever he does with it, that's his choice. Right. Uh, you We're not can't trying to control him. Resign your position as general manager of the universe. Yeah. Do, do what you can do and then let them do what they want to do. Eventually, it'll take hold. Who who would want to be the general manager of the universe? Uh, I don't know. Maybe a politician? Yeah, they all want that. That's true. Uh, I, but... I When you see the president's except for this one, like he was already old and, you know, but you remember when Bush, like right after 9-11? Yeah. And, and then his his uh, his collar it looked like he was uh, wearing his dad's clothes because right. he, he was so stressed that his neck got really tiny and it looked like he was a turtle all the time because of that. And then o Obama comes in after him. He's a young looking guy for about 12 months. And then all of a sudden his hair turns gray. Like who wants this job? It's terrible. Tough job. Uh, let him do it. He doesn't even make that much money in that role, right? Well, they seem to be able to do okay there. Afterwards. Yeah. Uh, I think they set their plan while they're there and then they cash in when they're done. Yeah, for sure. They um, were worth a, a million, uh, the Obamas, and now they're like uh, 170 or something. Yeah. How do you do that? Uh, you sell a book that no one reads. Yeah, I think I've done that on one book. <laughs> <laughs>
but I'll tell you, you know, we we talked to my listener. We refer to them as diehards, but it's one listener at a time. So I address them individually. So you diehard are getting a lesson in Anthony and mine's friendship over an extended period of time. Anthony and mine's mutual respect for one another and our mutual likes and dislikes. It's we we are of the same ilk. We're both rock and rollers. We both smoked a pound of dope to a given song. Um, we can name our own songs. They're probably a little bit different, but you know, I'm, uh, I'd love to change the world. Alvin Lee uh, is one of mine. And of course, Stairway to Heaven when it first came out, but Mississippi Queen was an anthem in my house. Leslie then, West. Yeah. And then I discovered ELO and my whole world changed uh, because the move preceded them and then Jeff Lynn and then just absolute amazing music. Hey, Je Jeff Lynn was probably the person that studied the Beatles oh, yeah. more than anyone. Like, like his, he, he got it like immediately. Like I know how to do this now. Okay. So let me, here's a brag. I apologize, but it's a brag. Jeff Lynn is sitting in my living room and we're sitting down talking about music. And he was unequivocally, he said, oh, the Beatles changed everything. Yeah. And he was, and he became friends with all of them uh, as a result of it. They all respected the hell out of what he did and, you know, did the traveling Wilburys with with George Harrison. And he's just a, he's just a hell of a great songwriter. Like yeah. he's got melody, he's got harmony, like everything works together. Uh, it's a, it's an amazing band. So I'll give you something you can relate to. Maybe the diehard cannot, but too bad. Um, I'm at, I go to their concerts and I'm on the stage or I'm just left of stage or I'm in the front of this in no man's land and the violin will play a solo and they all kind of walk off. That's when I want to talk to them. Like, what are you thinking about? <laughs> are you thinking about, you know, doing the girl in the front row? Are you thinking about writing a song or, and Lynn's comment to me one day was when the audience is into it, we're into it. Like That's they're right. looking for that feedback response to say, come on, play your heart out. Come on, do your do your best. I and took my wife to see the Eagles a second time. I took her in Tampa. We were at uh, Long Boat Key. And I said, do you want to see the Eagles? And she said, yeah. I didn't tell her it was in Tampa. And then so she didn't really want to do that drive. But we went up and she was unhappy the whole way. And then oh, yeah. after the show, she said, that's the greatest band I've ever seen. I've never seen a better concert. And I said, I know. It was, they did the Hotel California album. And then when they were done, Don Henley came out and said, we're going to give you 15 minutes. We're going to change clothes. And then we're going to play for another two hours and 40 minutes because we can. And uh, cool. and we were there till probably 1130. So we decided to go to Cleveland. Steely Dan was supposed to be opening for the Eagles, but uh, he's he had a, a surgery the same day that we were there. So uh, they brought in the Steve Miller band. Love that. And Steve Miller is 80 years old and he shreds the guitar like he's 22 years old and his voice is great. And, you know, every song except one, there's like one song that you wouldn't know something about honey and something about Colorado or something. But yeah. every other one, everybody's standing up the whole time while he's playing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and you're like, wow, like, you know, every word to every song that he has, except for that one that he has that I didn't know. It was amazing. And everybody was stunned at just how good this guy was. And then you have the Eagles after that for about two yeah. hours and 40 minutes. It's amazing. So those those are just great experiences. In the early days of rock and roll, The Who never had an opening act because they just wanted to play longer. And um, I was privileged to see them several times with Keith Moon. And it was, they're amazing. They're an amazing band. 
because they write their own music, they perform their own music, and they Townsend they do does all that. Opera. Townsend writes all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. But they did the rock opera in the middle of their concert. That's how long the concert was. Well, it's wonderful to watch. You know, I got to watch Pink Floyd when I was uh, playing rock and roll. I started playing rock and roll when I was fifteen. I played all the way till I was twenty-six years old. When we started headlining, and we could get a thousand people to show up wherever we went, sometimes two thousand people if we had another band with us. I decided that we were going to open for the group that was supposed to be opening for us because I didn't want to leave at three o'clock in the morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm like, we're going on at 10. You go on right. at 12. Right. Have a good night, gents. We're out. I'm not staying there until that late at night. And uh, and they were like, you're going to let us uh, go after you? Please do. We have a whole bunch of people or we're going to go have a party somewhere. You're going to be still trying to get your equipment out of this place. Yeah, that's that's how it worked. The one thing that's consistent about every rock and roll concert that I've been to, and I've been to way more than I can count, they never start on time. You show me a concert, I'll show you something that starts minimum 15 minutes late, sometimes an hour and a half. Unless it's a Axl Rose in uh, Guns N' Roses, because sometimes he was not there for three hours. They'd make people sit and wait. Yeah, that's bullshit, but it is what me it is. Me too. Um, the Isley Brothers never showed up sometimes. It affects your life. I apologize for this diatribe, you guys, but I'm I'm only challenging you with this. Pay attention to music because it is the memory maker of your life. It's your first it's your first date, it's your first kiss, it's your first wife. And be aware of the fact that it'll take you back wherever you want to go, whenever you want to go there. Okay, back on to random acts of kindness, and then we're gonna call it a day. Sounds good. I think that it's one of the most under and, and this is, let me remind you again, this is Anthony's book. It's called The Negativity Fast. And I came with an idea that I want to do a book together with Anthony, because if he uses my title, I'm going to have to go to Columbus, Ohio, and uh, then immediately turn around and go back home. <laughs> but you need to have the positivity feast. Yeah. It's an obvious one. And my mug today, in honor of Anthony, is, yes, a wonderful alternative to no. <laughs> I even have my own name on the mug. Um, I couldn't read it. It, it, it was, it's too tiny. You you should have a bigger. Uh, bigger there we go. Yeah, no, I don't need. I'm, I'm fine with that. Can you just be? It has my tucker on the back of it. Couldn't you just put Git G I T? Isn't that enough? Don't doesn't it, everybody it, already know? It could be. It yeah. could very well be. But um, we each have been impacted significantly by negative and positive in our lives, whether it's the death of a parent or some kind of medical situation that threatens your life. Uh, you certainly get to see who loves you. You get, you certainly have, you gather friends. You know, I, one of my daughters has MS and I can tell you it has been a, a family bonding situation where we all go and try to take care of her as much as we possibly can, but not, I'm here to take care of you. I'm just here to show you some love. Yeah. Uh, by the way, you need, you know, what do you need done? Um, but I, but I think that each of you diehards needs to understand that in the negativity fast, you just have to turn off the fucking television and get on with your life. Right. Um, if you're going to scroll, then put an alarm clock on your scroller so you can only scroll for 15 minutes. That's enough. It's totally enough. Unless, of course, your your algorithm is for lead guitar players, and then at least make it 20. <laughs> Am I allowed to say something personal about you with with this group listening? Sure. So everybody knows Gittimer. Everybody. And everybody that I know knows Gittimer because he's just very, I mean, he's at the top of the stack. He's been there forever. And he always will be. 
And uh, when he dies, I'm going to take all of his books and I'm going to repackage them with my name on them for sure. He can count on that. I want to pretend that they were mine. But I want to tell you, I stayed at his home with him. Okay. I was his guest and his, he is the greatest host. He's so concerned on making sure that everybody is happy. This guy who sometimes you go like, he's a little gruff. Okay. Okay. Occasionally. Yeah. He's a Philly boy. So uh, you could expect that. Right. But he's such a great host. He even came and woke me up at about 4.30 in the morning so that we could go get bagels. And uh, I'm just telling you, like, when I was there, I was like, I feel like I'm at a really nice hotel. I mean, everybody's trying to make sure that it's good here. And it was great. So I just want people to know they don't know that part of you, but uh, I do. And uh, he's just a a true gentleman, uh, great sense of humor, has a whole bunch of books I'll probably steal from him next time I'm in his house. Well, cool. there's there's a you know metal detectors. We have a, a paper detector. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. If any paper goes through a door, right. alarms go out. Alarms goes off. Yeah. Um, thank you, uh, Anthony. I the reason I'm a good host is that my mom and dad were great hosts. They're great entertainers. But if you stay in hotels more than a thousand nights, and you and I have stayed in hotels thousands of nights. You know what you want and you know what you don't want. And I'm I'm pretty easy going in a hotel unless something goes wrong. And then I'm Yeah, you're a Philly boy. Yeah. Well, I'm I identify as a dick because that's my gender and my personality <laughs> rolled into one in a bad situation. But but I think that you give what you want to get. Yeah. And I, I think that marks who you are as a person. My my mom taught me to be mannerly because she was mannerly. And you know, you're forever grateful for what your parents did. They don't become really smart in your mind until after they pass. And you you can't bring them back for an hour going, man, am I ever so fucking grateful for you and everything you've done? Yeah. That's back to that Monday thing. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, there's pretty interestingly, you know, the manga books, the Japanese cartoon books. Yeah. There's a series called Orange which was introduced to me by my daughter, who was 11 or 12 at the time. They're the number one New York Times bestseller list. How do you get to be a Japanese cartoon book, number one New York Times bestseller? And the answer is the book has a theme. And the theme is no regrets. That everything you do, you don't want to regret what you didn't do or what you could have done or who you should have been with. All of those things made it a number one New York Times bestseller. It was absolutely unbelievable. You knew the characters by the end of the third book. Did, or, did you follow Christopher Hitchens? Yeah. Yeah. So when he found out he had esophageal cancer, he was yeah. still writing for Vanity Fair. And he wrote a, a piece in there about choosing your future regrets. Like oh, wow. you, you have to, you oh, have to go and yeah, I'll do that. Yeah. You have to decide like, what do I want to regret at the end and, and make those choices. And then when he was asked if he would have stopped drinking and smoking, if he would have known that he was going to get uh, esophageal cancer, his dad died of esophageal cancer too. And uh, he said, I probably would have slowed down a little bit. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I'll quit. I can quit anytime I want. I just don't want to quit right now. Yeah. That's the the hue and cry of every addict. This is my favorite Hitchens um, thing that I can say out loud. He said, if uh, you have a dog and you feed it and you walk it and you pet it and you take care of that dog, that dog thinks you're God. If you have a cat and you feed it and you you clean it and you take care of that cat, it thinks it's a God. Exactly. That's the difference between dogs and cats. Exactly. I, I left. I left my I was living in an apartment when I first moved to Charlotte. 
And uh, I, a kid who was running sales for me, I had to leave for like two weeks. And I said, once you instead of living in the dorm, come live in my apartment and take care of the cat. And New Yorkers have a way of doing things that's unlike anybody else. They don't give a shit about anything or anyone except themselves. <laughs> I come back home. I go, Art, did you pet the cat? He goes like this, once. <laughs> That's funny. That defines a New Yorker. It totally defines. Yeah, once. There you go. You've been pet. Exactly. Um, and by the way, if you go to the Algonquin Hotel on 44th Street between 5th and 6th, they have a cat, Matilda. Like the fifth Matilda that they've had there. <laughs> and when I go to New York, I eat at this place called the Red Flame, uh, which is the best salami and eggs in New York City. It's on 44th Street right next to the Algonquin. Same Bellman for 30 years. Wow. I go say hello to these guys. Hey, how you doing? It's unbelievable how you can make a casual friend and they don't go away. They literally do not go away, especially in Europe, much, much more friend oriented. And it's not a matter of random act of kindness. It's a matter of just being. Well, when, when you when you start talking about New York, you know, that's one of the few places on earth where F you means good morning. And yeah. uh, and everybody just goes, yeah. Yeah. F you too. How the fuck are you doing? <laughs> it's unreal. It literally is unreal. It's like nobody's mad at you. No, it's no one. A... I would appreciate it if you didn't, you know, use that language. Are you kidding me? Said no are one. You effing me? Yeah. I went to uh, John Barbados' place, and I was trying to figure out how to get to the dinner that I was supposed to be at, while I was going to be doing a keynote. And uh, I said, "How do I get there?" And the guy goes, "How the f do you not know how to get there?" Right, exactly. And I and I said, I live in Columbus, Ohio. And he goes, I thought you were a New Yorker. Right. And I'm like, I'm direct enough to be one, but I still don't know how to get there. How right. do I get there? And he's like, okay. And he gave me directions, but it's like, they think I'm a New Yorker when I'm there. That's lovely. But That's it's, a great compliment. It's, it's the uh, it's the directness. Yeah. Uh, I think you have to be at home any place you go. Yeah. You have to feel at home any place you go. I, and when you came to my place, my goal was make you feel at home. Yeah, you did. Yeah. That's, and now everybody's going to want to come and stay overnight okay. with. Yeah, you can. Maybe there's like offer. a, maybe there's an offer in this thing. Like, uh, yeah, let's go. Spend uh, a night with Gittimer. No, not like that. Weekend at the library. Weekend at the library. Weekend at the library. Okay. We'll do 10 people for five grand a pop. Sounds and good. And I'll bring a couple of guest speakers. But he the does, library. he does though, just so you know, before you get there. He wears those pajamas that have like the feet in them. Just so you know, I don't want you to be. <laughs> some have feet, some do not. That's so funny. So we're going to end this, but Anthony has several other books that just go to, if you find the negativity fast, look for the other books that are by Anthony, but he's got one about eating and he's got one about <laughs> selling and you need to, you know, one about competition and you need to understand that his books are readable and actionable. And I would challenge you to go do that. He's also hireable. So if you would, are you thinking about you're having a meeting and you, you can't afford me, Anthony is your guy because he's way, you're way cheaper than me, right? Yeah, everybody's way cheaper than you. <laughs> but the challenge is, I just love talking to Anthony. We're going to have him back to do another thing on uh, Negativity Fest because I'm hoping that he'll say, hey, let's do that positivity feast because um, I would, I think it's the right thing to do. I think it's the perfect compliment. The other, the other thing that's been bothering me now that I've done this is that every person that has said something about this book that read it, they said, uh, I want my kids to read that. And then I was like, do I have to do negativity fast for teens or something like that? Wouldn't wouldn't you, if you could go back to like eighth grade and somebody could give you these kind of strategies, Yeah, 
Yeah. I mean, it would be I, good going into high school, like having some of that. If you would just record the book in your voice and give tips at the end of each thing for a teenager, yeah. you, you win. You don't have yeah. to write it for them. Just talk to them about it because that's what yeah. they want to hear. They're, they're yeah. TikTokers. They're not readers. Yeah, that's true. I'm I get to two, do 72,000 TikToks. <laughs> well, I it's okay. What's wrong with that? Nothing. Uh, Nothing. Yeah. Uh, I just, to let, just to let you know what the world is like, and I don't know whether I've told you this or not, my 14-year-old daughter is a Taylor Swift fan. Like, right. If you've never been to the movie, you got to go. Hmm. You have to go. It is compelling as a movie, and the audience is uber compelling because they know every word to every song, and they're going wild. My, my wife said that they go down in front of the screen and dance yeah. and stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, they're all over the place. It's unbelievable. Hmm. But I got a text from her three Sundays ago because she's going out with Travis Kelsey from the Chiefs. Right. And I get a text from Gabrielle saying, I'm watching the Taylor Swift game. <laughs> now it's it's Taylor Swift's game now. Wow. Anyway, um, Anthony, a pleasure as Thank always. You. My um, people will call your people. Diehards, go out and make a sale even if your ass falls off and uh, stay away from idiots. Thanks for listening to the show. Don't forget to like Share. Yeah, share with both your friends. And subscribe to the podcast. And remember, we have a free 22-day sales challenge. Just go to Gutimer.com slash sales challenge to start you on your way.